Good evening, this is Gary Kavanagh here today on TRSI. Today is Sunday the 29th of March. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. And today we will be talking about The Who and their classic rock opera. You're very funny. A person makes a perfectly understandable mistake. A small error which he confesses to off air and then he's made a mocking in a byword. No, I was just going to make that joke. I wasn't going to tell people that when I told you we'd do a show on the WHO, you instead spent several hours learning about the Who, the English rock band, and their creation of the rock opera. Tommy, that's what it was called. And I read all about Mr. Roger Daltrey, who likes cricket. We will be talking about the Who, the World Health Organization, not the Who, the English rock band. Mm. Although the English rock band is more immediately appealing. But we have to talk about the Who, despite the, my general assumption that one should never talk about a UN body, because it just, you know, it just promotes them. It does. It's, it's a kind of a, there's a fundamentally depressing effect that talking about anything to do with the United Nations. It just sucks the energy out of you, the goodwill, the optimism, the belief in the possibility of decency in the world. They're just horrible, horrible things. I mean, Michael has been a long-term proponent of the dissolution of the entire UN. Well, Bring back the League of Nations, I say, Michael. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if I'd bring back the League. It, 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 but at least it was effectively and publicly useless and never had any... There was no, nobody believed it was just... And I, it's not that I believe in the dissolution. I, I think that if lots of people want to get together and have United Nations, that's grand. We just we just shouldn't be involved in it. Uh, we should just take our take our fees or and, and go and pay and join a nicer club. And which is not a small thing, we should stop sending young Irish men and Irish women abroad to areas to keep peace under conditions that uh, put their lives in danger unnecessarily and don't allow them to defend themselves in a reasonable way, which is what's happening at the moment with the United Nations. So you might be asking, why do you want to talk about the World Health Organization, given that no one has at any point in human history wanted to talk about the World Health Organization, because it's a nightmarish organization that shouldn't exist. And the reason is pretty simple, because it has had a rollicking bad week, and actually... A pretty bad De start of the year overall, I would say. I thought you were going to say decades there, and I was going to row in and say yes, Gary. A petition to demand that the chief of the World Health Organization, uh, Dr. Tedros Adhanom, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his, third, his last name. He calls himself Dr. Tedros, probably because that happens a lot. His last name is Gebre Jesus, and I'm, I'm guessing Jesus is part of that there. And Gebre is a fairly common patronomic in, in like, a Gebre Haile Selassie, who is a, a runner people may have heard of. Anyway, you're saying, Gary? He's an academic, we're told. Well, he's more of a politician, but uh, public health, I suppose, would be his area. Yes. He's the first head of the World Health Organization to not actually have been a doctor. Or uh, he's... A medical doctor. Sorry. He, he is a doctorate. Uh, he has a doctorate. He's not a physician. Yes. So a petition started uh, to have him resign. That got up to about 500,000 people. And people wanted him to resign because the WHO have not been terribly good at dealing with COVID-19. You're just, you're just mocking me now. Nobody calls it the WHO. They call it the WHO. 
I I could. I don't think anyone has ever heard me say it before. So for all intents and purposes, I could. You could, but you know, then you'd be speaking a private language, and we all know how Wittgenstein explained how that never ends well. Anyway, so the president of the WHO got into a bit of trouble. Well, the director general actually, because people basically said that man is in the pocket of China, and the fact that COVID nineteen wasn't declared an emergency and wasn't treated seriously, and the WHO recommended certain steps and not others is because he is in the pocket of China. Yes. And then it came to light that China was largely responsible for him getting elected in the first place, and that uh, when he was running for election, he was accused of covering up multiple cholera outbreaks. You might have heard us mention this the last time on the show. Since then, the situation has continued to get worse for it. You've started to see, really only in conservative media, which is interesting because it's not a conservative issue, People starting to put together very detailed and well-sourced timelines of the outbreak in China versus when the WHO started giving uh, certain recognition. And it looks like the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, either willfully and at great length lied to the WHO, and the WHO just repeated it without checking, or that the WHO was aware they were being lied to and um, let it go. Yes. And this all kind of came to a head yesterday when video of an interview with Bruce Aylward, who is a senior advisor with the World Health Organization, came to light. And Bruce ended up on uh, doing an interview with, I believe, a a TV station from Hong Kong. Yes, that was it. And they asked him, could we talk about the, you know, what he thought about the response of uh, Taiwan? Because Taiwan has actually done quite well. They've had very few deaths, um, and they have many, many links to China, as China is very quick to point out. There is only one China, Gary. There is only one China, yes. Although I did see a Chinese official saying that there were no new cases in China, which considering there are cases in Taiwan, Tibet, and Hong Kong... Oh! That's the sort of thing that gets you and your family shot. That is actually genuinely the kind of thing that can get you and your family shot. Maybe not now, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. when There's going to be a day in the future where you're going to be at a party conference and someone is going to stand up and uh, going to say that you denied that there is only one China and it is the greater China. Yeah, and that, you know, you, dude, I would be erasing files and shredding documents and changing names right now whoever was responsible for that that's not a good idea not a good idea no so basically bruce was uh, asked what he thought about taiwan and he pretends not to hear the question and then they say sorry we'll repeat it and he goes no no go on to a new one yeah we've dealt with that we've dealt with that by me not answering it and then they ask him something about taiwan again and it's on a video call and you can just see his left hand move slightly, and then the interview ends. Yeah. And they call him back, and they ask him about Taiwan again, and he says, well, we've already talked about China. And you see, the problem here, for those who don't know, Taiwan, when the communists took over the Republic of China, when the Republic of China became the People's Republic of China, the government of the Republic of China fled to Taiwan. What was called Nationalist China, led by Chiang Kai-shek. Yes, who then later led Taiwan until his death, I believe. I believe he died in office. The, the, the leader. Yes, the, uh, the leader. But, basically, China sees Taiwan as being Chinese territory. Taiwan, despite the fact it has an entirely, well, probably because it has an entirely separate government, doesn't agree with that. And is strongly of the opinion that it's uh, it's not China, 
And if it is China, well, it's all of China. But Taiwan has never declared independence. No, no, it's very important because, and, and they're constantly advised. There, the great tension in Taiwanese politics is between people who say, no, there is only one China and we are, you know, it's a bit like, you know, odd groups in the Catholic Church and the relationship with the popes. There's someone that they, well, we have a bit of an issue there, but, you know, we're still all, we're all in it together. And then there are those who want to say, no, let's just deal with the reality. The Americans spend, who support Taiwan and have 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 signed mutual support, military mutual support agreements with Taiwan, have for a decade been very hot on people in Taiwan not saying that they are an independent separate nation because, let's face it, China is very, very close and very, very big. And it would, and China going to war with the United States is not something that any of us, even, even in, you know, the coronavirus could, could, would start to look less serious if you had China going to war with the United States over Taiwan. So that is the nature. But there is this constant tension between the, the but he, the language he used, Gary, it, it, it was, he was far more careful of the, of his language than that, that poor bureaucrat issuing press statements it was bizarre wasn't it but what i what i found particularly interesting and i haven't noticed anyone else um pointing this out any of the other media reports is that uh dr aylward was the man who led the joint who research mission to china into covid19 and he was also the chap who came back and said there should be no travel and trade restrictions against China because they wouldn't help. Now, China lobbied very heavily that those restrictions not be put in place because of its potential to interfere with, uh, well, Chinese trade first. But then also it was kind of a slap in the face to their prestige as well. So we have, it turns out that the person who recommended that there be no travel and trade restrictions against China in the early days of COVID-19 is... Uh, so on side with China that he won't even recognize the word Taiwan and will instead totally ignore any question in which it is there. No, <coughs> we should also put this in the context of even though people knew what they knew, as late as mid-January, and possibly even later, the World Health Organization was issuing tweets on the basis of Chinese information that there was no human-to-human contact, no human-to-human infection. Uh, do you know there is one reason I can think of why they may not want to talk about Taiwan here? Why is that? I know, well, Taiwan is not in the World Health Organization. The People's Republic of China will break diplomatic relations in their entirety with any country that recognizes Taiwan and use a great deal of con- of their um, political will to keep Taiwan out of any international grouping yes. that they can. So Taiwan is not in the WHO. However, according to the government of Taiwan, yes. on the 31st of December, which is the day the WHO brought out their, um, said that there was no proof of human-to-human transmission of COVID-19, the Taiwanese government say that they sent the WHO proof that there was human-to-human transmission. Oh! So, if they received proof that there was human-to-human transmission, and then spent, oh, let's see, on the 14th of January they said there could have been human-to-human transmission, mm-hmm. but it, I think it was a, um, I think it was a good deal later that they actually said that that was certain. So if they had, if the WHO had known from the 31st of December that there was actually human-to-human transmission and ignored it because China wanted them to ignore it, 
That would be a bad thing. That would be if I, if I if I if I if I were Italian, for example, and I was the only country in Europe, one very few in the world, that had direct flights from uh, Hubei from Hubei from Wuhan coming into my country into Ciampino or Fiumicino or Linate. I would be very very unhappy with the World Health Organization right now. I don't know if this is anything to do with it, but it's worth observing that China owns large chunks of Ethiopia. It does, and it turns out that the head of uh, the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, not only got his position due to China, uh, but it looks like he was involved in some infrastructure and property deals with them as well in Ethiopia, which is the primary means by which China is uh, expanding its influence in Africa. Well, and it is over Africa like a rash. And not that this means anything, but I just want to observe, China is still a Marxist-Leninist state. And the good doctor, whatever he thinks now, did start his life as a member of the Derg. Now, younger listeners will not know what the Derg was, but the Derg was a very bloody, very violent, repressive Marxist-Leninist regime run by a guy called Mengistu until 1987, uh, uh, who overthrew Haile Selassie, the last emperor of Ethiopia, and installed the Marxist-Leninist regime in Ethiopia, leading to the imprisonment, torture, murder, and starvation of many, 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 many people in Ethiopia. And it's good the doctor started in his life in the health ministry under the Derg. So there may be an ideological friendliness also here. Apparently, um because I, Dr. Tedros had come up slightly before for me um, in relation to the Mugabe affair, which when I looked into a little bit more, uh, mostly just recently actually, the prevailing theory seems to have been that that was a uh, the repayment of a favour from Tedros to China, because uh-huh. Mugabe was a very strong ally of China. Did you see the video of the Deputy Prime Minister of Japan uh, talking about the World Health Organization? I think at the World Health Organization. He's at a formal meeting of some kind. I had it translated, because it's obviously in Japanese, but I'm not exactly sure if it's at a meeting of the World Health Organization or if it's at a a subcommittee of the Japanese parliament. Does he say nice things? He says that um, he's talking about the petition to remove the the head of the WHO, and he says that to the public, the WHO is rapidly becoming the CHO, the Chinese... And then he says that we should also ask strong questions about the absence of Taiwan, given that they are not in the WHO and ignored all of its advice and have done so well. However, I can't say that or the Chinese will tell me to sit down again. Well, you know, the Chinese and the Japanese don't have the best of histories and relationships. So, you know, (laughs) the Japanese are so famously rude and forthright in the way they express themselves. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So we have we have a situation where the official. Oh, we also found out that the um, the reason it took so long to be declared a pandemic wasn't because it wasn't everywhere. It was because at the initial meeting to declare it a pandemic, the Chinese threw the diplomatic equivalent of a shit fit and killed it entirely. Do you know another country that's doing really well, Michael? Japan. Australia. Do you know what Australia did as soon as this started? I'm guessing it's not to increase their vitamin C. No, they decided to totally ignore the advice of the World Health Organization. Oh, what was that? And they instituted a travel ban on China. 
and Chinese citizens. And that worked? It's, I mean, no, it's still in the country, but Working. it slowed it down incredibly. There is a, you start to see a common sort of approach to places that were, the Chinese called it racist when it happened. I'm always deeply amused by Chinese state TV calling other people racist, because China is, by all research, a incredibly racist country. Mm-hmm. There is a long, honourable tradition in the Far East of doing that. The, J- the Japanese, back in the day, people, again, younger people will not know this, but there was a time in the 1980s where there was a widespread belief that Japan was going to take over the world, certainly the United States. And any time that they were stopped to buying, buying something in the States, they would launch these civil rights lawsuits based on racism. They're big into their... And the Jap- Japan, I am assured by friends who have lived and worked in Japan is a society not untarnished itself by racism. No, I think if one looks at the the long arrow of uh, Japanese history, one can see the faint outline of racism at the odd point. Yeah, but it is, I don't know if it consequently or or otherwise, but it is one of the most ethnically homogeneous societies in the world. I think to, to give an idea of the uh, the level of racism in certain parts of Japanese, uh, Japan's past, I would remind people that during the sack of Nanking, the Nazi ambassador uh, started taking refugees into the Nazi embassy <laughs> because he thought things had gotten out of hand. So I think that puts That's the Japanese... But it's true. <laughs> the sack of Nanking, there were reported to have been incidents of um, Japanese officers cutting the heads off children and then trying to play golf with them. The, the sack of Nanking, I mean, there have been a number of histories written in English and documents. It, the details, well, actually, not just the sack of Nanking, by the way, but the whole of the history of the Japanese uh, war against China in the period directly before the Second World War and their occupation of China and the creation of uh, Mukden uh, in the north, but their their use of Chinese civilians in chemical and biological experimentation. I mean, it's just horrific. Uh, the dehumanization, it's up there. Anything you found in Auschwitz or Dachau or wherever, it's just ghastly. It, it, it remains. I just, I just love the idea of a Nazi ambassador yeah. to an Asian country yes. looking out the window and going, you know, I've got to do something about this. This is just not. Um, this is not good. But the Chinese do. They, I mean, and very successfully, they play in that. They're aware of the weakness and the sensibilities of European uh, and um, North American politicians. So they say, "All right," they cry racism, and because they've been conditioned to respond in this way, European, oh my God, what? Stop! Stop! Whatever we're doing, let's stop doing it. Check ourselves. Are, are we? Are we doing this? Are we going to get in trouble? So they uh, they instrumentalize. That, that sensibility is very, very effective. But, you know, Gary, the thing is, now, while we can have a go at the good uh, Dr. Giblidge's Jesus uh, as much as we can, this is, the problems in the WHO have not happened just because this man came in. No, I mean, for for decades, it's been an incredibly over-politicized organization in which positions are given out based on the relative power of countries at a time, horse trading. I mean, look, at it's Ebola response. In fact, in many ways, this chap was meant to be uh, a sort of sop to that. I mean, he's the first African to ever rule over it. We are, at the moment, in the, the midst of a pandemic which was 
slow to be called a pandemic for political reasons. If you go back 20 years or 10 years, the Council of Europe was launching an inquiry into WHO and the influence in this case, and obviously this is long before he became president of the, or head of the organization, the influence on the WHO of pharmaceutical companies. After This was the result of the global swine flu campaign, right? And the influence of pharma on WHO, because the belief was then that there was a golden triangle which existed between the WHO, the farm industry, and academic scientists. And that in the case here was, uh, there was the uh, Dr. Wolfgang Vodar, who was the chairman of the Health Committee of the Parliamentary Council for Europe. He's a medical doctor and epidemiologist, and he considered the pandemic, inverted commas, swine flu campaign of the WHO to be one of the greatest medical scandals of the century. That in rather than being a pandemic called too quick, too slow, this was a pandemic called too quick. In fact, they said it was a falsified pandemic, which had been done under pressure from the drugs company, who wanted to attract and subvert massive amounts of money into a vast, into a campaign to direct to develop vaccines and drugs. Uh, one, the, in the official statement of the committee, he criticised the influence of, uh, of the farm industry on WHO and saying it had led to a situation where unnecessarily millions of healthy people are exposed to the risk of poorly tested vaccines and, of, and the flu strain, in this case, that is vastly less harmful than all previous flu epidemics. So, in one sense, political, I mean, not just, it's not just politics here, Gary, it's also, it's cold hard cash, old fashioned pecuniary, uh, corruption. I mean, you talked about the Ebola case. I mean, there were so many <coughs> allegations. I mean, the, 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 the one that made the big headlines was the senior official who was accused of using Ebola funds to fly his girlfriend to West Africa. And I believe uh, first class. Mm, yes, there a rather substantial percentage of the budget of the WHO gets taken up on travel and accommodation, and not to the extent where you might say, "Well, these people have to travel to to look at areas that could be you know, open to uh, epidemics." But a lot of very very nice travel, Mike, like five star first class travel. Oh yeah. These people don't. I, there's all, I mean, there, there, shall we say there are accounting issues where you wonder what exactly has been transported. There was a great story where a, a plane was hired, supposedly to transport three, transport three vehicles from a warehouse in Dubai. And it cost a million dollars to hire a plane to transport three planes. And uh, the only thing was that as the agency was that there were there were apparently no vehicles available for sale. In the the reason they bought had to ship them was because there were no vehicles available for sale. That uh, in the in the Democratic Republic of Congo that met the minimum UN safety standards, so they had to fly them in from Dubai. Do you know interesting thing about uh, Australia and a big problem for China in Australia at the minute is it turns out that over January and February. And uh, into late February, at least two Chinese companies between them were buying in massive quantities of Australian medical supplies yes. and shipping them back to China. Yes. Uh, it looks like they, they sent millions of face masks. Hazmat suits, wasn't it? it was hazmat, 70,000 hazmat suits. And then one, one company's uh, sent 90 tons on its own. But apparently that was part of a global effort 
So in Australia, this has been seen as Chinese companies. Now, these were also real estate companies. And you've got to understand Chinese real estate companies are very closely linked to the Chinese state because in China, the state owns all land. Yes. There is no private land as such. They're agents of the state, the yeah. real estate. So Chinese firms very closely linked to the uh, ruling party, one of which is owned largely by the government of um, of China. Mm-hmm even though it is a, a private company, um, took hundreds of tons of medical supplies out of Australia after the Chinese government knew how dangerous this was. Mm-hmm. And it looks like after it was uh, it was known that this was spreading through other countries. And um, Australians are taking that pearly, Michael. Really? And then the companies, for their part, are saying, well, look, we have links to China, and it was a terrible situation, and we wanted to provide aid to China. Now, there is a question. When I first read it, I assumed that was perfectly legal. But there is apparently a question because of the quantities uh, of medical goods involved. Right. And because that's not the purpose of either of these businesses, that there may be a question over the legality of exporting that quantity of goods. Uh, In which case that would have been, or could be perceived to have been, an attempt by Chinese uh, state-backed firms to get around those um, requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the one of the companies sent out an internal newsletter, which was leaked to one of the Australian press, and that newsletter said that this is part of a global effort. So now the question becomes, where did this happen? And how much medical goods were sent back to China? Particularly because we now see China largely as part of a PR exercise, starting to export, generally not volunteer, they're generally selling medical supplies back to Europe. Yes. Which has come in for a little bit of criticism, as it turns out that a lot of the medical supplies don't work. I don't know if you saw the the issue with, let's say... Oh, the testing kits. The testing in Spain and Czechoslovakia, the tests were not as accurate as they were meant to be, so they're not being used. However, it also came out the other day that uh, 600,000 Chinese masks that the Netherlands bought also don't work. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a problem. Right. So there is a perception shaping there of China taking medical goods from the rest of the world into it and then exporting low-quality goods, effectively. Uh, not donating, making money on them as part of a, a PR offensive. It's interesting in that when you look at the global media that is reporting on this, yeah. it's Asian and Australian media are reporting on this in its in its totality, both sides of this. Outside of Asia and Australia, conservative media is reporting on uh, most of the things about the World Health Organization and Chinese goods not functioning. And the more left-wing press is just mostly talking about how great China is and how racist it is. It would be to call it the Wuhan virus. Yeah, I don't... Which is a weird thing to split on. I really don't get... I mean, the argument about what you call the thing, frankly, leaves me cold. I have no... Dog in that fight. I don't care as long as I don't catch it. It can call itself the Queen of England. Really, I don't. This, in that sense, anthropomorphizing it again, which actually annoys me. I'm doing it myself. The thing is, I I'm t- I am not one of those right wingers, Gary, who thinks that the United Nations is actually part of a great, vast, horrible plot run by Jews and Freemasons and Jesuits and the Pope to take over and create a world government. 
you know, if I thought it had that kind of capacity, I'd be much happier. So I thought, if I looked at the United Nations, if this is a kind of organization that could execute a vast subterfuge of political wickedness on a global scale and then take over the government of the world, I'd say, okay, cool. If you can do it, lads, best of luck, you know. It's a tricky one, but, you know, it's a bit like fighting a, fighting a land war in Russia. You know, it, So far, nobody's been successful, but you never know, maybe you'll be the ones to crack it. My objection is that they are vile, corrupt, incompetent sinkholes of money. And it doesn't get talked. If you talk about, as I have, as you adverted to, I've been, I came to the conclusion, I mean, a long time ago, that anything that is associated with the UN eventually or inevitably seems to become corrupt. And the problem is, for most people, you associate some issue or some with the UN it, the idea is that it's supposed to give it special weight, that this is an independent, fair-minded, unbiased organization which, whose only concern is the well-being of humanity across the globe. And it's there to create, spread love and peace and harmony. Well, it's patently not. And the problem is these organizations are only useful insofar as people trust them. Have you seen the levels of trust in, say, Hong Kong? That people have when surveyed for the WHO. Well, here's the thing about the the WHO. The WHO has been putting out tweets all during this, uh, saying that travel bans don't work, even though we now know that early containment of this and the fact we missed the early containment period would have been a key part in actually ensuring this didn't spread as rapidly as it could. Yes, uh, and it looks like that was now at the behest of China. Yeah. Then they say no human to human. Transmission after the Chinese know that there is human to human transmission. So are they lied to the who, or the who was convinced that uh, that to to put it that way? And then you might say, well, why would the World Health Organization lie if they knew it was incorrect? Yes, and I would point you towards the World Health Organization is currently putting out a great deal of information telling the public not to wear masks. Yes, I mean, that- but here's the interesting thing about that, Michael. I'm, I have no medical training, but I can read a public policy document and a research document. Yeah. And when I saw that, I went, that's odd. That is weird. Because of how this thing spreads. It's mostly um, droplet, although there is an aerosolization if it's agitated or in the air. And so I thought I, w- I would go and look at it. And Michael, interestingly enough, when you go back and you look at, let's say, some of the SARS stuff, and also some of the initial research coming out of this and Asian countries. Yeah. They say that the high levels of mask wearing in public were a core reason that the infection struggled to spread so far. Right. But initially they said masks don't work. And then it became, if you're wearing a mask, you're taking one for medical personnel. Okay. But they didn't go back and say masks worked, Mm. which kind of left you with a situation of, but if they don't work, what am I taking from medical personnel? And then the World Health Organization started saying that... um, well, you won't be able to wear properly anyway, so don't worry, but, but they would be. Mm. Now, there is there is actually something to that. The the N95 masks, the um, the ones that would help heavily against aerosolization, they, they have a seal around the face. Yeah. And they are actually very difficult uh, to fit properly. So difficult, in fact, that in some of the research I've seen, up to 76% of, me- of medical staff don't seal them properly. So, sort of a problem for everyone. Yeah. The testing to make sure the mask is actually on properly mm. every time you're wearing it. So, there, there is a bit of a point there. But from the research I have seen, 
both on a macro level and on an individual level, masks are incredibly effective. Even surgical masks, which is if you if you do not um if you're just in the general public, a surgical mask is perfectly it's probably as good to wear as an N95 mask because if they're not fitted properly, you're just wearing a surgical mask anyway. It's just much more expensive and awkward. The thing is, it's about there's a certain there's no when they say this, there's no context at all, and there's no sense that you're talking about different situations. It is true that most of the masks that are available, if you're talking simply about whether or not a virus could get through, that's not the you say technically they may be permeable. But most people are not going to be spending hours and hours in the presence of somebody who is contagious. Most people are going to use them for a very brief. And if nothing else, right, Gary, if, if it did nothing else, we know that one of the problems supposedly of this is that we that this is uh, born in droplets from pe- persons who are infected or from surface, from, from picking it up from surfaces and then infecting ourselves, right? We're told not to touch, you don't touch your mouth, don't touch yours. If nothing else, if you're wearing a mask and you, you, you come in contact with it and you, before you've washed your hands and you touch your face, well, you don't touch your face, you touch your mask. And if nothing else, that, it, that cuts down on that, on that problem. And you then can go home. And by the way, if you have a mask at home and you want to sterilize, one way to, you can successfully sterilize it other than the obvious ones is using UV light. The uh, the virus will degrade under UV light, which is one of the reasons why it is these viruses have a seasonal uh, element to them is because as the days get longer and the sun gets in the sky, the amount of UV light that's available that's around the place becomes greater and that they tend to degrade. I, I mean, not to get too into the weeds here, the research says that masks are useful to a degree. Yeah. They will not stop everything. No. But even a surgical mask will stop things. Even homemade cotton masks are effective. But are they a hundred percent? But then, Gary, the question is: Why not? do they say so? And they do. Blanket masks are not useful. When that is, the research is absolutely against that. They're what they're they're giving people advice, which is against the the, the, the their best interests. Absolutely against that. They should be saying masks will not save you in every circumstances. But you know what? It's not a bad idea. They will help. Why are they doing this? I I suspect that initially they came out and said it, not because they don't think masks will work, but because they were concerned about a shortage of masks for medical personnel. That is the that is the first, I mean that is the understandable reason I can think of. But they're still doing it. In fact, Michael, they came out today and said that there is um there's no airborne transmission of uh, COVID-19. Well, the research does, my understanding of what I've read in the papers, and again, I am I am not many things, including immunologist, virologist, or epidemiologist, says that if disturbed through some kind of agitation, that it can stay aerosolized, in its or aerosolized, it can stay in the air for up to three hours. And if you look at, let's say, the CDC, the American CDC, they say anyone dealing with COVID-19 should take in um, or, or should protect themselves against uh, an aerosolization. If it's like SARS, I mean, SARS could stay in the air for about an hour and then the weight of them would carry them to the floor. Yeah. But that's not what the WHO is saying. They're saying that... There is no... There is none of this. 
Uh, and you've already, I mean, that was only today, but you've already seen a number of infectious disease specialists, uh, including a couple of infectious disease uh, aerobiologists, which I actually didn't realize was a, uh, a thing, was a speciality, yeah. sort of going, uh, like NPR had one, Dr. Donald Milton from the University of Maryland School of Public Health, uh, basically said that they're being irresponsible, that they don't know enough about it to actually say that this is the case. Isn't that the thing, and though, from been... the beginning of this, Gary, that one of the the really negative things about, considering that this is an expert body to whom people look for advice, that they have again and again given these rather absolute pieces of advice, which are simply not true. It's not that they've been given, well, you know, a bit of this, a bit that we don't really know, but we think. But no, they're, they're absolutely clear and certain, and this is the case. Actually, it was interesting when I started looking into this, because it turns out there's this big debate in uh, in infectious disease control about the line between aerosolization and droplet uh, spread and whether or not they should be two distinct categories or whether there is crossovers. That was actually just, just an aside that was really interesting. But uh, this is the problem. The WHO most likely lied about masks. Yeah. They have now destroyed their own credibility through the uh, issues with declaring it a pandemic, the human-to-human transmission, the close links to China, the politicization of the body. And I mean, when I see like fact check COVID-19 is not airborne from the WHO, my first response now is not, okay, they know what they're talking about. It's, I mean, you haven't been right about a lot recently, lads. When you start to doubt, not simply the expertise, because you can have areas at, t- at different times in different places where there are disputes about the expertise. Are by, and we've seen this again and again, where perfectly well-meaning, good-faith people who are extremely well-credentialed can have very different opinions about uh, about elements of of this debate. But the problem with the WHO is we're now not it's not simply sort of tin tinfoil hat merchants like myself, but other people are now starting to question not simply their expertise, but their motivation. When you start to say about an organization like the WHO. Well, why are they saying that? Well, then its usefulness is gone because you're no longer, you have moved to a point where you now regard what they say the same way that you would regard any other political organization. You assume that there's a background to it. You assume there's a context. You assume that there's something going on that you're unaware of. And therefore, the degree to which you can possibly take what they say as Gospel well, truth is massively I mean, here's, compromised. Here's, here's a point on the uh, on the airborne thing, just to, to close this off. When I went back, the WHO recommends that healthcare workers w- use particle respirators uh, of up to uh, certified to N95. If there's no aerosolization, yes, by which why would you need to use a particle respirator? Because that's what they're used for. Yeah. So now, I mean. If they were to say, you know, it can't last very long in the air and will fall to the ground, so, you know, give it an hour or so, that I think would be reasonable. But to simply go, no, it's 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 absolutely not. Don't worry about it at all. Mm-hmm. Seems, um, seems kind of dodgy. It's odd. It's, uh, at the very best, it's cavalier. I don't know why. <sighs> what the attraction is to them of making these... Statements with such great certitude, I don't know and what, what the purpose of the point is. It's it's odd, and but listen, it's a it's a UN organization. There are God knows what kind of motivations going on behind this. Anyway, 
Um, we've had another lovely day discussing the thing. We will be back uh, tomorrow when possibly we will talk about something other than the thing, or at least something tangentially connected to it, but not its, it's the thing itself. But for the rest of that, I, I think it's time, Gary, to wish our listener a good Sunday. Mind yourself, disport yourselves insofar as you can. Oh, actually, just before we go, you know that, um, yeah, the chap in Hong Kong who got, he ended up becoming a meme because he said, uh, America don't trust China. China is asshole. Yes. There is now an edited version of that that says America don't trust who because who is asshole. <laughs> well, 76% of Hong Kongers when interviewed did say pretty well that. That's true. And, uh, you know, wear masks if you're dealing with people. Wear masks. Don't deal with people. That's the big thing. Don't. And actually, if you wanted one really good piece of advice... Oh, actually, I came across a really nice... And we promise we will finish after this. Two things. Uh, really nice piece of uh, from a, uh, an assistant professor of infectious diseases, Johns Hopkins, who said, things to do. Do not go around shaking out uh, your cleaner dirt or older new clothes or cleaner dirty clothes. When the virus is glued onto a fabric... It is extremely inert and will simply degrade. But if you go around, if you shake out your fabrics, then the particles will be coming to the air and will become dangerous. Uh, so that was, I thought, quite. Uh, that seems directly contrary to the World Health Organization, Michael. Well, it may be, Gary, but I'm going to take the the word of the assistant professor of infectious diseases, Johns Hopkins, because I can tell you, Gary. This is somebody who knows somebody who knows someone who knows a cousin of my living in Florida. So I think that's a fairly good reason. You know, they know the representative of my cousin in Florida's and he knows their mother. So I think that's fairly decent credentialing right there. And the other thing is, I would say, and I say this absolutely serious, don't listen to the news. If you want to listen to the news, get the headlines. There are people out there who are watching the news 24 hours don't, lads. Honest to God. If you have more broad, go and watch a box set of something like Jeeves and Worcester. You can get Jeeves and Worcester is on uh, on YouTube. Go and watch some of that. You know, you're going to this just sitting there watching uh, and the, the reporting and the reporting is not good anyway. Go out to the garden. Drink a gin and tonic. You, even though you're not supposed to drink anymore, I believe, Gary. And, I mean, well, the World Health Organization did say not to drink anymore. And, I mean, we should all think about when we get to the end of this and the damage in public trust that the WHO has done to itself, we should ask whether or not the entire thing should be burned to the ground. Burn it! And a new, better organisation set up in it. But if you want some uh, cheap fun, I would go on to Twitter and go on to anything the World Health Organisation says and then look at the comments under it because they are getting shit on from multiple directions. I'm quite right too. Everyone. At a time when you think people would be like, thank you for this life-saving information, <laughs> it's a combination of people going, well, I don't believe you. Other people going, uh, there's now a, a picture of uh, the Premier of China with his hand up a puppet of the head of the uh, w WHO. WHO. <laughs> uh, people re sending them screenshots of that tweet that went out saying there's no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Right. And uh, then other people just saying Taiwan is a country. <laughs> and on that note, there is only one China, but we'll be back tomorrow. But mind yourselves until then. Bye-bye. There is only one China. And Taiwan is the legitimate government of it. <laughs>